This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Hope I say this correctly. Mike Wallach, thank you for joining me in the trenches. <laughs> Pleasure's all mine, Jeremy. I'm uh, honored to be on your show. I, I, uh, I'm curious how South Africa is going to um, navigate all this. The, the, do you have any, any, any ideas that how they're going to like withstand the global? We, we are schizophrenics down here uh, because we're part of BRICS. So we have one foot in the West and one foot you know, in Russia and China. <laughs> so I think, I think, I think our position will be whoever ends up on top, we'll side with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I, have a, I have a friend who's, who left New York to go to South, to escape, you know, to go to South Africa. I don't, I don't know if she's going to make it, you know. I want to know if she's going to be okay. Have you been here? Yeah, I, I, um, I spent six months in South Africa when I was 19. I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah. Where did tell me more? Where did you go? Um, I uh, I just decided I had to go to South Africa. I don't know. It was really sort of uh, the strange instinct that I had when I was now. You know, like Mandela had just come to power a couple of years earlier, and I, I was just super interested. So um, I took off, and I was supposed to be in Cape Town, but the college that program that I was part of got canceled and so I ended up in uh, Peter Maritzburg oh um, no of all places yeah. no it was great I uh, I ended up uh, becoming friends with like these uh, activists there and I got a job where I would drive around and um, I was like the assistant to this guy who would drive around and interview all the um, all these IFP and Kata Freedom Party chieftains and um and we would so we would just drive through the countryside and talking to these these guys about like Zulus. what do you guys want the country to look like you know and uh it was cool because they you know they had no they didn't have a lot of love for the anc and 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 uh so it was a good like perspective like hey there's there's more than just like a black and white perspective on south africa for like a 19 year old american that was pretty interesting i'm trying to find a segue into our conversation and i'm and i'm really <laughs> i'm really it's, it's hard to segue this but you know even at that time 20 years ago i saw and i heard from these from these guys and i saw how the new global economy was gonna sink its teeth even into these little zulu villages and um i remember like i tried to speak out at the time it's like an idiot, but I tried to speak out. I like stood up at some like um, got like local government committee meeting, and I was like, "Don't you see? Like, you know that the, they're you know they're trying to like they're trying to to take over. They're trying to colonize this area now." And um, everybody was on the take. I mean, you know, it didn't really matter, but obviously, but um, but you could see how like with the port plans at the time. The way the ANC really wanted to turn South Africa into this, uh, they wanted to turn Durban into this, um, to this this major port, you know, um, and it was going to ruin it was going to ruin the economy in this whole Zulu area. 
Um, and uh, so you can just see how like these, these, these global powers, there's no end to their reach, you know. Would you say the medical pharmaceutical industry has been colonized? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, oh yeah. I mean, you could go back. I mean, it's easy to go back at least 100 years and, and see that colonization take place. Um, you know, one of the, I think, sort of fascinating things is you say, how did like China, which has this 5,000 year old continuous medical tradition, get so entrenched in the exact same quote unquote scientific outlook that we're seeing here in the West? And, um, but it's no mystery. I mean, Rockefeller poured, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars into, uh, you know, recreating the Chinese medical system on the model that he had just created in the United States, you know, only a few decades earlier. Um, you know, that was in the forties. Um, and you know, th there were already connections with Mao and so on. Um, that the West had with Mao in the Chinese Revolution, so the the it doesn't happen passively. I mean, these these characters are very you know actively recreating the medical system everywhere they go, and um, of course in Africa, uh, you know, a, a huge step was the whole AIDS scam, and um, you know probably have a, a lot of stories about that, but you know making the documentary. <laughs> and um, we haven't even talked about the documentary, but making the doc, I became really good friends with David Rasnick. Have you had him on your show? Yeah, a few times. He's he's fantastic. So he completely changed my view on HIV. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, me too. And um, you know, he was really close with Tabo and Becky. Yeah. Uh, this and. Um, you know, so he's got tons of stories and we, we go into a bunch of them in the doc, but um, he's got tons of stories about the role that the, um, the foundations and the, and, the, and the corporate medical system played in colonizing African healthcare, And they did it under the AIDS banner. Um, so, you know, he was talking about a, a friend of his uh, who was going to become the uh, health minister uh, in South Africa. And she was going to appoint David uh, to, you know, overhaul the AIDS approach uh, that they were taking. And, you know, two days after she called him to say that that's what she was going to do, uh, she suddenly died in a car accident. Uh, so, you know, th th this, is a, this is a very big program that's, that's at work. Um, and it's hard it's hard to even put a stop you know to to say hey where does where do the tentacles stop on this but um you know you could he david told me a lot about a lot of conversations he had with health ministers and you know second level health uh you know bureaucrats where they knew that when they were asked to refocus their entire health budgets to AIDS, away from the problems that were actually seriously impacting people uh, in uh, throughout Africa, um, if they pushed back, they would just lose their jobs. That would be that. They would lose their jobs, and the, 
and the machine would go on. And, you know, one health minister, you know, sort of spoke back to him and said, look, you know, I've, at the very least, we got all these vehicles, you know, to drive around to AIDS clinics with. And we know that we know that, you know, what we're doing in, in selling this whole AIDS scam is is worthless. But at least we got cars out of it, you know, and it's like you have to invert your thinking on so many levels to uh, to play this game uh, with the system. So, um, you know, we see that we see medical colonization all over the place. And um of course, the United States was one of the first places it, it happened where, you know, if you go back to like early um, medical advertising in the 1800s, it's just replete with Native Amer American imagery. Um, you, you know, if, if you wanted to sell a health product, you would put a, a Native American on there because everybody knew that Native Americans had a strong health tradition that worked. And um, slowly that you know, that system was completely destroyed. It was decimated. And um, and that goes, you know, all the way to putting Native Americans in uh, in, in Western schools. Uh, basically, it became illegal to have a Native American school at all. Um, so all of those traditions were destroyed and then replaced with, you know, Rockefeller medicine. Um, so it's, it, that I think that was one of the first areas we saw modern medicine colonize uh, indigenous medicine or traditional medicine or where all of our traditions were. Um, and then it's gone out around the world and it happens again and again. I mean, even people like Weston Price, who, um, you know, I'm sure Tom Cowan uh, maybe talked about, he's, he's a Weston Price Foundation board member, but Weston Price was a, a dentist who, who went around the world and um, looked at what makes healthy teeth. Because if you if you well he was he was of course interested in teeth but also if you if you understand what people's teeth look like you can understand what their bone structure looks like and uh, he very quickly realized that uh, people who had transferred over to the industrial diet were um, had had much worse off teeth than people who were eating traditional foods um, which is of course the you know right let food be thy medicine right like this is the the chief, uh, the most important determinant of your health uh, in day-to-day -day life is what you're eating. Um, and so, you know, you, he, he was, you know, pushing for a return to these uh, traditional um, uh, approaches to food. But then, you know, his work, which used to, which for a brief period uh, in the early 20th century was, uh, you know, taught at Harvard as, you know, foundational nutritional advice, you know, his work was pushed out. So you have old traditions that are destroyed, uh, you know, like the Native American traditions that are destroyed. And then when people even try to revive those traditions, they're pushed out again and again and again and again. So, I mean, I think colonization is a great word for it. Um, and, and now I think we're into a new era where the body, our own bodies are being colonized. I mean, you know, it used to be the land, um, but now it's our bodies are the new, you know, terra incognita for for commodification and control. Um, so, I mean, I, where does it end? I mean, it ends on like the on the on the uh, the molecular level of your own body. You know, transhumanism. What's that? Transhumanism. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's 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 really extensive. I mean, that's what's so unbelievable. But when when you think about the the whole program that's at work, it, it's mm. how extensive it is, and um, and it's a it's a program. It's it's very clear. Mike, how much of all of this do you think is by emergence, and how much of it is by design? I mean, I ask myself that question every day, and I'm, I'm hoping. I don't think I can give you a clear answer. I'm hoping maybe you can, you know, damn it, tell me as well. <laughs> but I mean, something like um, there's there, there's a uh, it's deeply embedded. These ideas, like like virology, right, are deeply embedded in the uh, the scientific structure that has been built for at least 75 years, right? I mean, they're actually, so you can put it in these different time periods where we can go through these different eras and say, okay, in this era, this happened. And in this era, this happened. And, and it's interesting to go through it because you can see how, um, how there is, it didn't just emerge randomly. This isn't just a mistake that uh, where we all, you know, started to think, oh, this, this, this sort of wrongheaded idea by accident, right? Uh, it's just happenstance. I mean, even Stefan Lanka, who I adore, who's one of the most brilliant, you know, scientists on the planet, you know, he, he sort of, he puts it, you know, he embeds it all the way in materialism and the, and the materialistic outlook that emerged over the last like 500 years, okay? I don't think we have to get that abstract, but mm. um, but you know if you look at 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 after World War II, um, we we see this huge change in this the focus of scientific funding, and if you can look at the focus of scientific funding, then you can you, you know that determines what's known, right? Like it's like the old guy who's looking for his keys. Uh, you know, in the street, and the guy says, "Well, where did you lose your keys?" I go, "Well, I lost my keys in the bush, but there's there's a street lamp here. At least I can see in the street." You know, and it's like if that's what's illuminated, then that's what people will generate more and more and more knowledge about. Um, so, you know, or, or look at like uh, Fauci's quote, you know, where they asked him, you know, are you aware of the great Barrington declaration, which was like this really like sort of weak willied, you know, declaration by thousands of doctors saying like, we lightly, you know, <laughs> we have some problems sort of with the whole COVID, you know, response. And he was like, no, Fauci was like, no, I definitely would not look at the great Barrington declaration. I don't have time for that. I run a $6 billion grant operation. That's, you know, so, you know, that's how he sees his job is he's he's directing the focus of scientific research for the United States, the richest country in the history, one of the richest countries in the history of the world. Right. So how is it determined where all of that money gets spent, where all that university money gets spent? Um, look at like my alma mater, Cornell, um, which I think their endowment, a friend of mine teaches up there and um I think he said that their endowment, which is, we're talking about 
billions, tens of billions, if not hundreds of billions of dollars, um, that their endowment went up, it almost doubled in the last five to 10 years. And he's pretty sure that that's all coming because Cornell wants to situate itself as one of the leaders in uh, genetic modification and genetic testing for the future. So there's billions of dollars that are coming into Cornell, um, but only if it situates itself as a certain player in the game. You know, only if it's if it's gonna if it's gonna do this kind of research. My dog, uh, my dog's adding his pissed off commentary. Sorry. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> I've got a, a black mouth cur. He's the best, but dang, he hates the Amazon delivery guy. You directed the viral delusion. What's it like? Seven and a half hours long. Seven and a half hours long. So. It's about the, 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 the falsity of the viral paradigm. Um, it's about the, uh, we take a really close look at the so-called science behind virology. Um, you know, uh, interviewing, you know, everybody's favorite people. Um, of course, you know, Andrew Kaufman and, and Tom Cowan and Stefan Lanka. Um, but, uh, but I think we go, on a level of depth and and uh, and clarity, that's that's kind of I, I thought was really special. Um, it, it it really um, I thought it just turned out beautifully. The way everybody's thoughts really dovetailed with each other. Um, so we, we spoke to so many different people. Um, but the first the first episode's two and a half hours. It's only about so-called SARS-CoV-2 debunking the idea that there was ever a virus that was actually discovered. Um, you know, with great interviews with with you know Sam Bailey and Mark Bailey, uh, but also some lesser known people like Stefan Scolio, who's an absolute gem out of Italy, uh, Klaus Kohnlein um, in 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 Germany, Torsten Engelbrecht, the journalist Celia Farber, um, fantastic people. Um, but then after uh, looking at SARS-CoV-2. Um, I really wanted to place the whole thing in its historical context, so uh, we go we go way back. Um, so we, of course, we look at polio in the second episode because polio is so important uh, to, to understand. Um, it's it it goes hand in hand with the rise of virology as a science. Um, but then we go way 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 back. We go all the way back to the Great Plague uh, because this is in today's thinking that, you know, about viruses and contagious disease and everything, you know, this is one of those sort of subconscious things. Well, what about the plague? You know, what, what was that? And it's fascinating when you look at it. It's, it's super interesting. I mean, um, the idea that, 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 that it was a virus that was carried by, uh, by rat fleas is the mainstream orthodox, uh, you know, fairy tale. But that it just doesn't add up to historical evidence. That's just it's clearly not true. Uh, you had, you know, the plague in places where you didn't have rats, let alone rat fleas. Um, and so we, we did some great um, uh, interviews with, with uh, Don Lester and David Parker, who, who walk us through uh, the history, uh, the actual history uh, of what we know from that era um, and what it what, what, what are the much better theories to understand what was going on? 
Um, and you can see it. You can see it in paintings. You can see it in old diaries. You can see what, what was actually happening. Uh, and it has nothing to do with rat fleas. And it has nothing to do with viruses. Um, and then, we, and then we, walk, we walk up through history. So we, we take a really in-depth look at smallpox. Uh, and we look at the Spanish flu. Um, and then, um, and then in the, in the uh, fourth episode, we tackle what, what had been like a huge hang-up for me in thinking about viruses and virology, which is AIDS. Uh, because I, I grew up in the AIDS era. Um, it, it, when I started looking into the question of, of like, is it, is it possible? Is it actually possible that viruses don't exist? That that, that whole story is not true. Um, I just kept asking myself, what about AIDS? What, what was that then? And uh, man, was I blown away when I actually, you know, uncorked the champagne of truth and in terms of the AIDS story because they really man, they had me hook line and sinker with that they had they had the whole world back then and they still have a lot of people um but but the the again the actual story is so much more interesting and um and it was great to get at it because you know the 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 scientists the journalists the doctors who had spoken out the activists who had spoken out during AIDS, uh, during you know the '80s and the early '90s, they're still around. Uh, a lot of them are still around, and so you know, being able to sit down with you know Celia Farber, who you know was really one of the great AIDS journalists, or with David Rasnick, or or other people, like it was just so fascinating to hear uh, how how that whole propaganda was was rolled out and what was really happening behind the scenes scientifically. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I started. It was going to be a two-hour documentary, just on, um, on, you know, and and it just slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, you know, I think it turned out well. I mean, we've got amazing feedback from it. So, Mike, why does this conversation matter, though? <laughs> to who? I mean, I think. Uh, I, it matters on so many different levels. <laughs> it's, first of all, it's just fascinating. Like this is how the world around us. And, and it, if you don't understand how the world around you works and you don't care, I mean, fine, you can go do your thing and, and you, you know, you can inject yourself and you can, you know, make all sorts of, you know, ridiculous choices that you're making out of ignorance. Um, and, and you're going to get hurt. I mean, sadly, you're going to get hurt. Uh, so I think on a very personal level, um, understanding this will change the way that you uh, live your life personally uh, in terms of your health um, I, I could tell you stories probably for at least an hour about how my own life uh, and my wife's life and my child's life have changed because we, we slowly came to this understanding of how this re-understanding of health um, which for us like whatever, for some, somehow the universe led us on this path for more than ten years now, um, and it it it's totally changed our lives. So I'll tell you I, I'll tell you guys the story of my wife because I think that um, it's it's elucidating. It's helpful for people to understand how this can really impact you. Um, so uh, back when we were uh, 30, 
my wife and I, this is 15 years ago now, um, my wife got really, really, uh, uh, a really bad case of, of arthritis. Um, her knees blew up to like volleyball sized and, um, and she couldn't walk. Uh, and it would happen for like a week and then it would go away. And then her other knee, like a week later would blow up. And, and pretty soon she was walking with a cane and, uh, and it was just a disaster. I mean, she was in pain all the time. Um, and she went to see all these room, you know, rheumatologists in New York city. And they all told her the same thing, which is that, um, this is just a genetic thing. And uh, there's there's nothing that they can do fundamentally, um, and uh, the only thing they can do is they can put her on a regular steroid treatment, which um, she looked into uh, later, and discovered that um, that if she had taken that steroid treatment, uh, it would have vastly increased her chances of dying in her fifties. And the only other thing they could do is put her on a cane, you know, give her a cane to walk with. Um, and, and that was from the three, three top rheumatologists in New York City. And, um, and we didn't know what to do. I mean, she didn't know what to do. Um, I happened to hear on the radio uh, an, a doctor, I won't even call him an alternative doctor. He, was, he had been the chief pathologist at a hospital in New York City. And he had quit because he was so frustrated with the mainstream medical system. And uh, he had started his own practice. And he sounded super smart on the radio. I was like, wow, this guy's really, really smart. Like, let's just go see him. And my wife walked into his office. He took one look at her and he said, are you a professional athlete? And that's kind of like a joke to my wife. She was like, definitely not. And uh, he's like, okay, well, what does your bathroom look like? Uh, is, is the paint peeling on the walls of your bathroom? And she said, yeah, actually it is. I, I hate my bathroom and it's, it's definitely peeling. He said, yeah, look, we'll run some tests, but you know, you have a mold allergy. You're, you're living in a moldy apartment and it's, and it's causing you this, this problem. And what I recommend is get out of that apartment as fast as you can and you'll be fine. And um, you know, this had been going on for like a year at this point, my wife walking with a cane and, um, we got out of that apartment, uh, right away, like, I think like two weeks later and, um, that's it. It went away. No problems. And what? it's been 15 years. She's never had a problem again. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? Like, what does that story mean? Right. Let me try to break that down a little bit, um, for people, because it's only in hindsight that I was actually able to truly kind of understand what had happened there. Um, and, um, it's almost perfectly reflective to me of the, the scientific outlook that the medical system uses and doesn't use, uh, in our general situation. Um, what it, what it's very reflective of is this old quote from Aristotle, um, when he was talking about the nature of medicine and he talked about two different kinds of medicine, uh, slave medicine and free medicine. Um, basically, uh, medicine for the slave 
um, was symptomatic. You would, the doctor would, I, I'm, I'm going to get the quote wrong, so I'll just paraphrase it. Um, medicine for the slave, you, the slave would come in and you would look for something to make the symptoms go away uh, as fast as possible so that you could get them back to work. Medicine for the free person was actually a conversation, a discussion to understand everything that was happening in the free person's life to discover what the root problem of the illness was and, and free the person from that. And what we have is a medical slave system. And um, as Jim West uh, talked to me, um, who, another great interview that we have in the documentary, I mean, Jim West is a, a, another gem of a human being who did groundbreaking work on polio. Um, you know, and he says, look, uh, even um, before the 20th century, you know, the roots of American medical thought go back to two uh, areas. One is war medicine, where the aim was to get the soldier back onto the battlefield as quickly as possible. And the, the other uh, root of modern industrial American medicine was to get the factory worker back onto the factory line as fast as possible. And it was out of those two uh, foundations that Rockefeller was able to craft this kind of new era of medicine in the 20th century. So that's what my wife would have been a victim to, right? We're just going to give you these steroid treatments. We're going to bring the inflammation down a little bit. It doesn't matter if you die early, you know, 20 years from now or 30 years from now. The point is to get you back to work, is to get you back into the system. And and that's what virology, I mean, that's what we're looking at in our documentary is all of this uh, smoke and mirrors that's pointed to by that medical system. And it can be bad luck. It can be so-called genetics. It can be virology. It can be, you know, so-called other germs um, that that's all. A, a sort of a built-up boogeyman to say we're going to give you this symptom-based medicine approach and we're not going to look foundationally at what's going on with you. And um, I mean, you can see even in like cholesterol medicine and like Lipitor um, where you don't, you don't actually, Lipitor doesn't actually attack the foundational uh, issues with heart disease, right? But it, it does reduce the numerical count of cholesterol, certain kinds of cholesterol that have been indirectly related to heart disease. So the there's, there's no studies that say if you take Lipitor, you will have less heart disease. But yes. you will have charts and graphs, right? So it's this, this you know, it's com everything's completely delinked from foundational causes um, and at best you get this sort of pseudo you get this symptom relief which sometimes you need okay like mm. sometimes you might say no I, I just really need some symptom relief right now and I don't have a problem with that but if you if you're operating as if that is the you know that's the whole picture then you really just don't know what's going on
And there's just tons of, there have been tons of times in our lives. Once we realized that, what, what had happened to my wife, and we, and that story began to be reconfirmed in other conversations we had with doctors. I mean, it became this, this, this germ of an idea that, that was so obvious, right? I mean, it's thousands of years old. It's so obvious that if you're sick, look around. What's happening to you, right? Once we began to have that conversation as a family, our health drastically improved because we, we became aware of everything that was around us and what impact it was having on us. And, you know, obviously that's going to improve your, your life. Obviously that's going to improve your health. So I think like to answer your question, there's, there's, it, it matters tremendously to understand this whole picture for your own personal life. And then that same thing is true for our political lives as mm -hmm. well. Um, so if we don't understand what's happening politically, we, we don't have a way of responding to it. We don't have a way of organizing ourselves. Um, so anyway, that's a long answer to, you know, a, obviously an important question. Your average doctor, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but I'm guessing it is the same. 15 minutes max, he doesn't ask about your lifestyle, nothing. Just, okay, you've got, you've got a problem with your head. Uh, let's give you an aspirin it's as simple as that not well let's talk about what led up to the headache nothing like that to absolutely me. not i mean i mean and this is and this is where we're we, this is like what we hopefully are painting the picture of in the documentary as well is that it, he very rarely will a doctor you know ask you about what led up to your headache but also uh, the vast majority of doctors, now there are some amazing people out there who, who think differently, but, you know, the, the vast majority of doctors are not, um, you know, staying up to date on, um, you know, soil nutrient uh, depletion <laughs> in, in, you know, in, in Kansas where you're getting your meat from or, you know, in the areas where your vegetables are growing or, you um, they're not up to date on what new power plants have opened up uh, in the area and the wind, what wind patterns are bringing the, the, you know, those fumes, you know, through. There's just, there's all sorts of things politically, environmentally that are happening around us, you know, but, but since, you know, since when have you gone to a doctor with a cough and he said, oh yeah, well, you know, the, um, I've been following the, the, the smog levels uh, this week and, and they are particularly bad, you know, but of course the, these things go up and down I and mean, there are serious smog. All of this stuff is there, you know, but, but it's not in the, you know, instead of looking in the bushes where you dropped your keys, they're looking under the street lamp where, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine told them to look. Do you think there's a problem with staying in their lane what do you mean? Uh, if you're hyper-specialized, you tend to get caught up in a very narrow paradigm, and so therefore you cannot zoom out and see the bigger picture. Definitely. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, I think there's tremendous problems with that. I mean, look at, like Saeed Karishi, um, who's a uh, chemist uh, that, I, that I was able to interview for the documentary, um, you know, he was he he was constantly hitting this refrain um, 
that the virologists have not been properly trained in biochemistry. And, um, and he was like, this is a joke. I mean, if you're talking about isolating um, a, a particle, then, you know, you need to be trained according to what that really means within the context of biochemistry and within the context of greater science. And, you know, he, he, so he, he was pointing to that as just one of many, many problems uh, in, in the field of virology um, that, that these, and now, again, it goes so far beyond that, but there is this stove piping that happens all the time, um, you know, where you, you, that's it. I mean, I, I used to see it all the time when I worked for the government. Um, and, you know, people have their blinders on and they're told to do this little job or that little job. And nobody's asking these larger questions of, you know, why am I doing this job? I mean, David Rasnick talks about that all the time, um, where he's, you know, he, he, he used to like look at me and say, Mike, there is no science going on in America. There is no science going on. And I was like, what do you mean? There's all these people doing all of these, all this work. He said, no, no, it's not science. That's engineering. That's not asking, you know, they're not asking questions. They're not making new discoveries that, that, um, that are based on the scientific method, right? They're, they're just fooling with technological gizmos that output responses that they, they already know. You know, they, they put something in the machine, they know how to operate the machine, and the machine tells them something. And that's what's going on. But, you know, actual scientific inquiry, um, he, he feels like science is dead, and there's no grant funding for that. Um, and, mm. I mean, you know, if, if anybody would know, he would know. I mean, the, you know, when he started to, you know, do obvious science um, in opposition to the to the AIDS scam, uh, and he had an actual lab uh, in, in North Carolina. The government shut him down. Um, you know, so it's not like it just isn't happening by happenstance. I mean, the government he was shut down. I mean, his lab was was shut down because it was proving that the government's HIV case was false, and um, he was winning lawsuit after lawsuit. Uh, with his with his work because it was it was just it was obvious mm. so um yeah i think there's a lot of a lot of uh stove piping going on and um you know we're all kind of learning the vast <laughs> array of what of, of, of how you know how deep it goes still yeah you were you were talking now about you know doctors not looking at the root cause of things i mean i've discovered that as well they uh, and I, I'm not. I'm just being gen. I'm, I'm generalizing, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to take a stab at at any specific doctors because I know they are very good doctors who are trying their best and they they honestly think that they're doing a great job. But what I have found is that it's easier to look for a single cause with a single symptom so that they can give a single solution. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and definitely. I mean, they're, they're like Florence Nightingale, you know, I, I think there's a great quote from her talking about, you know, the single disease um, 
I always I can never remember. I have a terrible memory for quotes, but basically saying the whole single disease nomenclature is is for you know is, is for weak minded doctors. Um, that, that that's not how disease works. It's you don't have this one you know disease that that, that flies around you know <laughs> like with a little you know evil you know. Uh, cape and, and 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 makes people sick in the same way i mean if you look at aids um you know they, they it started out as um they were just talking about carposi sarcoma uh which is a form of cancer okay we and just to remind people right like cancer is not contagious right but they were they took the symptoms of a carposi sarcoma which is a cancer and claimed that it was not Carposa sarcoma exactly it was it was also aids so they put a new label on top of it and said it was contagious and then they started adding all of these other um symptoms to that until it got into the dozens and dozens and dozens of what had formerly been called different diseases but now are just called aids until they got all the way to cervical cancer so they started with Carposi sarcoma, that cancer, went through all sorts of other things like, you know, the symptomology of malnutrition, the symptomology of tuberculosis, the symptomology of all these different things, and got all the way through to this to cervical cancer, which Rasnick lays out essentially was their way of trying to include women um, in the in the AIDS victim, um, you know, pot, um, but that. Then they said, oh, this huge package of, of different, um, you know, sickness, sicknesses, it's all AIDS, and AIDS is caused by this one singular thing called HIV, and, you know, wear a condom, be safe, right? But, you don't want to get, like, but not just that. But not just yeah. that. That little, that little microbe hated gay men in nightclubs in the US and poor black African people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and hemophiliacs, right? It also hates hemophiliacs, which which was like this this like amazing thing. Like they 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 were saying that hemophiliacs were getting uh, blood transfers that had HIV in it, which they were saying is a virus. But um, what they didn't talk about was the fact that when you got a blood transfer, um, blood would be taken from the person that, you know, the donor, it would then be um, uh, freeze dried and stored for months at a time at, at these blood clinics. And then it would be rehydrated and then given to somebody. So, you know, even by the, the most like strict definition, uh, the, you know, the, the most orthodox viewpoint, n nobody would say that a, a quote unquote virus could survive that, right? I mean, you constantly hear that they have to be in living cells in order to survive and do their, and, and like enact their zombie fairy tale, their like rape zombie fairy tale. but. It, it, it couldn't possibly survive that process. But that message that hemophiliacs were getting blood transfusion, HIV, and then getting sick, that got blasted everywhere. And like people would just accept that idea, even though it's, it's completely illogical. 
And there were like much better explanations for why hemophiliacs were getting uh, sick. Mm. And, and, and it had to do with the pharmaceutical drugs that they were being put on. So I don't even remember what your question is, but I, I'm just kind of ranting about it. Well, I mean, I'm going back now to Tavon Becky, and he famously said that AIDS is a disease of poverty. And he was completely ridiculed for saying that. And the irony, the irony is that he was actually correct. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, well, <laughs> not only was he, was he correct, it's so deep because, you know, I think he was trying to, maybe he was, maybe he, I don't know what, you know, what he knew, what he understood. He was clearly a brilliant guy. Um, but to say AIDS is a disease of poverty, I think an even clearer way to, to say it is the diseases of poverty were suddenly called AIDS. That, that, that's, it's not that you, because you were poor, you got AIDS. Because you were poor, you didn't have access to healthy food. You were working in incredibly toxic conditions. I mean, gold mines are incredibly toxic places. Diamond mines are incredibly toxic places, right? You were not living with proper sanitation, right? You um, are under extraordinary stress. And for all these reasons, you get sick. This is not like rocket science, right? Like oh, somebody- no, no, no. It was because they were having promiscuous sex. That's the answer. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it was because they were having and, and then, and like these stories, like, you know, people would talk about the, like Razzik points out these like stories where in like these, in these medical journals, they, they, they would have this whole like pipeline of like prostitutes in certain parts of Africa. And then the truckers would come through at these certain truck stops and pass on the, the dreaded virus and it would so and so. And then like, you know, like David went to those truck stops. He was like, oh, that's interesting. Let's, let's go to the truck stops. And he's like, and there's no prostitution there. It, it's a complete, it's a fable. It's a racist, a deeply racist fable that was meant to colonize, to recolonize Africa. That's it. And, and to once again, over and over and over again, re-explain diseases that to a free doctor, to a free person would be understood as having arisen out of the condition of these people's lives to re-explain that as this mysterious scientific thing that normal people can't understand. No, 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 it's HIV. You don't understand. It's a special, horrible thing we've discovered in the lab. Do you know, uh, I was on proton pump inhibitors. uh, That's for uh, severe acid reflux, um, heartburn, that sort of thing. I was on, it's prescription drugs. I was on it for 15 years. And I don't ever remember once any of the doctors asking me what my diet was. And I sat down with um, a a sports scientist by the name of Tim Noakes. And uh, he focuses a lot on nutrition. And he said to me, let's change your diet. And I haven't been on any prescription drugs at all for about two years now. For 15 years, I was having intense intense acid reflux and all i did was change my diet as simple as that 
It's as simple as that. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, eat healthy food. And then like that opens up a discussion about healthy food and what it means. But, you know, <laughs> it's as simple as that. I mean, this, that, I mean, I remember like one of the things that, that got me, you know, started with, with, um, with Tom Cowan, with, with listening and, and talking to Tom Cowan was this great little like story that he told uh, about, you know, dolphins getting sick in a, in, in a bay in Alaska. And he was like, look, if you just suddenly saw a bunch of dolphins get sick in a bay in Alaska, you know, what, what would be your first instinct as to why, you know, you're suddenly seeing these dolphins get sick? He's like, let's just kind of remember our sort of common sense here. Um, you know, would it be maybe that somebody's dumping some shit in the water? You know, is that is that like something you might, you know, think of as a potential cause that they might get sick? Yeah, obviously, you know, but instead, we're, you know, that kind of common sense thinking is like totally a no go. No, but there is a there is a little caveat that tends to get thrown my way. Maybe it's come your way as well. Uh, you'll get and I'm guessing it's the kind of mindset that perhaps doesn't want to change the paradigm of their own thinking but they'll say something along the lines of well everything you're saying makes sense why cannot not be both you know we have a toxic environment and there's something contagious oh it could be it could be it just doesn't it just it it just doesn't happen to be <laughs> that's just that that's what the science shows i mean you know, if you actually look at the science, that that story, the, the the virus story just doesn't turn out to be true. It's a cool idea. It's worth exploring. You know, it could be like demons make you sick. I don't know. I haven't done like, you know, a deep dive into like 14th century theology to understand like what did they really mean by demons? Maybe they're maybe they had this like spiritual um, language that that was actually like totally brilliant and and we can rethink about the world in terms of you know um spiritual demons maybe there's actually something there i don't know i haven't really looked into it what i have looked into is virology and that nomenclature that way of thinking about the world that way of modeling the world and that actually just turns out not to be true and as tom cowan says we looked at it that's great it's not true let's move on Let's find out what's making us sick. So, you know, if you want to believe X, Y, or Z is, is happening to you, I'm not going to stop you. But if you if people are interested in what's, what has actually been proven by the scientific method and what's not been proven, virology lands in the, the camp of definitely not been proven. Mm. And, and, you know, as far as you can disprove a positive claim like that, it's been, you know, awfully disproved. There's also a very strong focus on what makes you sick as opposed to um, what makes you perform less optimally. I mean, there's obviously a very strong correlation between the healthier you are, the less likely you are to be sick. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, really. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that that the whole model has just been, you know, our whole brains are so deeply embedded with uh, their way of thinking that yeah. we're, we think about, you know, 
we've been taught that you get healthy and by being healthy you fight off these these evil invaders but i think uh like nancy turner banks um you know who was a, a gynecologist a harvard trained gynecologist during the aids um crisis who was one of became one of the, like the most outspoken people uh against fauci and against the hiv uh narrative you know she talks about uh the the breakdown of the body uh, in people who were claimed to have aids as not being um victims of an invading army of little microbes but um the processes of their body breaking down because um poppers were uh were were i think uh keeping um because of the impact that nitrate was having in the body chemically and so they, their bodies were starved of certain minerals that they needed. And then you had a breakdown. And so, you know, I think like if you're healthy, then you're healthy. And if you're sick, then you're sick. I mean, it's, it's you know. But it's also, predict it's also predictable because if I sleep very badly tonight and I, I eat crap tomorrow, right and i sleep badly again tomorrow night and then the day after that i you know just eat junk food i'm obviously going to start feeling worse um and that's going to lead to some sort of expression of of sickness thank you yes <laughs> yes and you could if you i think about this all the time and like let's say you did that inside a bubble right let's say you did it inside some sort of like special dome where only you live and no other people live and, you know, there are no, like, bats or pangolins to, you know, theoretically pass on viruses to you, right? And you just live in your little bubble where there's no, there's no, like, living creatures in their model to pass viruses on to you. And you just wake up every morning and you go get your McDonald's, you know, and then you swig your, you know, your whiskey and watch TV all day. Like, yeah, you're still going to get sick, obviously. You know, so obviously this, you know, you'll, you'll still get a cold, you'll still get the flu, you know, it's like, like a, a, a friend of mine, um, you know, it was so funny when I would like talk about this to my friends and, you know, what was going on during COVID and he was like, oh, I got, I got COVID really bad, you know, really, 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 really bad, you know, and I was like, uh-huh, okay. And, um, and then like, you know. Like an hour later, he was like, oh, yeah, at the end of the winter last year, I got COVID really, 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 really bad. I was like, okay, okay. And then like a couple hours later, he was like, oh, man, uh, you know, what a winter it's been. He's like, I think I've been on like a, I think I've been on like a three-month like Coke binge. You know, he's like, I've never done so much cocaine my whole life. Yeah, I think it was just like for three months, it was like, you know, three, four days a week. Wow, what a winter, you know. Like, yeah, obviously you're going to get really sick after that, you know, and, but, but it, instead it's COVID, it's called COVID, you know, in his mind, those two things are totally unrelated, you know, his like crazy cocaine binge and no, that had no impact on his life because COVID's around. Imagine Mike, 
imagine actually believing that improved health comes from an injection that has a list of side effects that include injury and even death. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's the thing. It's like once it starts, you know, once your your brain starts to like grasp the enormity of the, mm. the, the 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 what's being sold to you, it no longer makes any sense. And um, it, you know, it's this technological, you know, it's it's the same, you know, tech techno wizardry dream that that they you know that they sell at the carousel of progress in in disneyland you know where um you know oh my god the, the future is going to be so amazing you're going to become this you know um you're going to be so healthy now that you're you know chipped and injected and uh, you know it, it's just obviously false right i mean so, I mean, this entire conversation actually has been centered around the question, why does this discourse matter? And the thread that comes out of this is that it matters because it changes your entire way of seeing the world. It's not just about viruses. It's about... Oh, definitely not. It's about everything. It's about, it's about everything. I mean, mm. it's like, like when my son was, was uh, about one years old and he... Um, he got like a really bad fever and a and a and a like he had a cough and a and a fever and um, it was terrible because it, it, he had been um, just starting to crawl around all over our apartment and it was like so exciting to see him crawling around so he'd been crawling around for like you know two or three weeks uh, just all day da, 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 and, it was, and, and then he got really sick and. Um, we happened to have just gotten back um, right before he got sick. We had had this great conversation with a very good doctor named Larry Pulevsky. And um, Larry had been talking about this whole switch that, that has to go off in your head about what causes disease, about why, why do we get sick? And I was thinking about it because I had been, he, he was the first person to introduce um, the idea to me that polio had, was not from a virus and, and, and that it was from industrial poisoning. And so I was like thinking about it, thinking about it. And then like two days later, my son gets really sick and I'm thinking about it and I'm wandering around my apartment. And then it hits me that right before my son had started crawling so that he could crawl comfortably, my wife and I had gone out and bought a huge rug at West Elm and put this giant rug down. But it was a rug that was made out of, you know, plastic fibers, right? Because it's like an all wool rug, like a true wool rug was like was out of our price range at the time. So my son had finally like gotten the urge, the instinct to crawl and like idiots, we had put him on a rug where all day he was right there sucking up these synthetic plastic fibers into his respiratory system and it, it was like holy shit so the first thing we did like right away i was like susie it's the rug we got to get rid of this rug we were 
poisoning our own child. We rolled up the rug, we got it out there, we vacuumed and we mopped. Right away he got better. Right away. It's changed it's about- your whole outlook. I don't, I, it's, I mean, the system is built to sell, you know, all the things that it's built to sell, um, mm. you know, is, I don't know if there's money to be made, you know, <laughs> selling Because if you've got, I mean, if, you, if you've got a thousand possible causes, the doctor is not going to be in business and the pharmaceutical industry is going to fall apart because they're not going to be able to uh, research every single cause potential. I just, I sort of disagree with that. I sort of disagree with that. I think the system as it is now would obviously fall apart, right? Mm. Because the system is owned and operated by a chemical cartel, right? Uh, there's a great book, uh, happened to have it right here, The Drug Story. It's a really old book from the 40s, Morris Beale. And he talks about the, the growth of the chemical cartel in, in controlling modern medicine, right? So, yeah, I think the chemical cartels version of healthcare would fall apart, but we would still have a need for doctors, mm-hmm. but doctors who help us understand what's going on in our lives in a healthy way. Um, so, you know, like, um, I, 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 uh, let me give you another example from my life. Uh, Again, I, I feel like I could do this all day because once you see it, you see it. Um, I got really sick. I used to live in Mexico, uh, in, uh, on the gorgeous place, on the beach, right at the edge of the jungle. And I used to walk um, every day along the beach with my son, right where the jungle hits the beach. And, um, and then one night living there, I got really sick, man. My whole body, like, suddenly was covered in, like, a huge rash. I was, like, itching myself in places, like, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, it was so painful that um, I, uh, by, like, halfway through the first day of that, uh, my wife drove me to the hospital. Like, it was so intense. And, um, and then I, uh, I told him, you know, look, I think I touched this, I might've like touched a berry that I shouldn't have touched. Um, and, uh, it, and he was like, no, he's like that, that would have like a hand response and it wouldn't, you know, and he was like, and I was like, what's going on? He's like, look, I don't know, but we'll, we'll keep you in the hospital. We'll put you on an IV and, um, and I slept in the hospital that, that night with a, with I don't know, some kind of IV in my arm. And then um, he gave me like a topical steroid cream, which I applied every day for a week. And it, nothing really got better. I was still in horrendous shape. And then I was talking to uh, this lady who helped, who helped uh, us take care of our son. And um, she was from the area. Uh, she's mine from the area and she was like and I told her what was going on and she was like oh you touched the Chechen tree you can't touch the Chechen tree Um, and uh, and she's like oh you just need to go find a Chaka tree and if you find a Chaka tree um, just strip the bark 
and boil it and put that on your on your body and you'll be fine and um and uh so i was like okay uh so i went out and and this guy helped me find the chikha tree which always grows right next to the chechen tree there's a whole there's like a mayan legend about these two brothers like one's good and one's bad and that's why they always are together and um and we got the 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 bark of the chikha tree boiled it i put it on myself and within half an hour the entire rash went away and i was completely fine she uh so it, it's it's this the, the outlook the outlook that this western hospital doctor that i went to i paid a pretty pricey sum to him too would not know about what is in his own surroundings in this small town you know he doesn't know the plants and what's really happening there he might have some some knowledge of it but that those aren't the journals that he's reading right that that isn't the medical information that's coming in and only a local would know that um mm. that, that was in response to something that you said i think it was somewhat on target what i don't know. what do you think is the purpose of a doctor Um, that's a great question. Um, if I were to go to a doctor, I would want in my ideal doctor, I would want somebody who has a really good understanding of what actually makes you sick. Uh, like a really deep understanding of what actually makes you sick. Um, and I would want somebody who has a deep understanding of, um, not you know natural things that will help you find your health again and it's you know that that like a lot of people say like oh like health is only detoxing um which is i think a really important movement like it's really great it's really awesome that we understand that the detox role in health but from my own experience I didn't just need to detox that berry. Like getting a little bit of the bark of the chikha tree was really helpful for me. So somebody who has that kind of knowledge, um, who understands what are the things in your environment that might make you sick and what are the same things in our environment that might help you heal, I think that's really valuable. You know, mm -hmm. like the doctor that my wife went to is aware that, you know, in, in living in, a, in, in, in New York City, you know, mold in the apartment, that's a serious thing that you need to be aware of. You know, living in Mexico, we didn't really have a problem with mold, you know. The, you have problems with the jungle. You need a different kind of doctor. So I think that a great doctor for me is somebody who, who understands all these things, you know. You're standing on a battleground of the information war and you're looking out at the horizon what do you see um i see scientific fascism that is um at playing a, or this this foundational role upon which all these other warfares are built and um that's that's a very dangerous situation um 
I mean, I, I, on a very personal, like, you know, we're, we're looking for like, uh, it, it's everywhere. And, uh, you know, we're looking for a house right now. Uh, and, you know, we're starting to see more aspects of this scientific fascism bubble up when we're looking for a house because, you know, they're starting to roll out this idea that, um, you know, propane uh, use and, and gasoline use is bad. You know, it's, it's, it, and, and, you know, the, the WEF and their minions and the people behind them and so on clearly have some kind of agenda to eliminate all sources of consumer power except for electricity. Right. And then they, they have this, this fascist scientist science that they roll out to be, you know, used as propaganda for that effort. And, and, you know, I don't know, what are they saying? Like, more black people have propane stoves inside their homes. So it's racist to be to have a propane stove because it's going to injure like black and Latina people in the city. And it's just total nonsense. But like, um, they, they'll come out with these these scientific papers to justify that, and then the media like kicks in and yada 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 yada. So we have all of these different layers going on in this in this you know effort to control us. That um, I mean, it's it's interesting. Where can I follow your work? Oh God, great! Thank you for asking. Um, well, I hope you um, and, and other people um, can, can see the documentary series uh, at theviraldelusion.com. Um, again, theviraldelusion.com. And um, I, uh, I mean, I have a sub stack, but I haven't really devoted enough attention to it. Um, and, I think your last, uh, post, your last post was a few months ago. Yeah, I keep I keep gearing up to write like a post like like um, I have these posts in my head and then and then I have to I have to work, I have to like make money, I have to take care of my son and and and, and then I'm like what's the point, you know? <laughs> like does it does it matter? Do, do I have anything do I have anything I can really add, you know? Um, but uh, but I do I have been gearing up to 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 do a um, to write something, you know, like let's look at the structure of scientific fascism because let's let's really understand how deep that goes um and because i mean th there was this essay that i read um when i was in college called um the structure of scientific revolutions uh thomas kuhn and um it's a, it's a really like a great essay about how power and political economy influence science and uh, how hard it is to get new ideas through that bureaucracy in science. Um, but I think the we have to... The tyranny of dogma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tyranny of dogma. But then we also have to step back and say, how? what's the con context of how that dogma came to be? And, you know, who's funding science and, and how and why? Um, because, uh, yeah, these ideas don't just you know, uh, emerge randomly, um, that they, they're, they're created and, um, they're created for a purpose. So, um, 
I, I would like to write about that and, and, mm-hmm. and do some interviews about that. But for now, the best thing to do is to go to theviraldelusion.com. Mike Wallach, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Man, I'm so honored to be among your guests. You have the best guests uh, out there in the internet space. So thanks for having me. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.